Welcome back to the Arizona Wildlife Federation podcast. My name is Michael and I am your host. And uh, let's see, it is it is windy outside today. And tomorrow morning is my spring turkey opener. So I'm really hoping this wind settles down. I'd love to go out this evening and try to roost a bird. And hopefully, hopefully button this thing up first thing tomorrow morning. Wouldn't that be nice? But with my experience in turkeys, uh, well, I mean, you, you'll, you'll know what my experience with turkeys is if you listen to our episode uh, just, just a couple back on turkey hunting. Um, yeah, I haven't been so lucky here in Arizona, but I'm hoping I'm hoping to uh, to uh, turn that around this spring. So we'll see how it goes. I'll be sure and report back to you on the next episode on how it goes. But enough about me and what I've got going on today. Today we have a very special show, in my opinion, short and sweet. We have on none other than the Tom Rosenbauer. I'm sure lots of you will know who Tom Rosenbauer is because he is basically the face of modern fly fishing as we know it. He is a spokesperson for Orvis. And uh, if you don't know who Tom is, I'll just say that he is an exceptional human being and represents the fly fishing community. Um, Well, he just does a fantastic job of it. He's very conservation-minded, even-toned, even-headed, loves to educate and share information with people. And um, the reason we have Tom on today is because our Orvis shop in Phoenix has sponsored the Arizona Wildlife Federation for their give back days. So the entire month of May, if you donate $10 to the Arizona Wildlife Federation through a coupon code that I will have available to you in the show notes, you will get 10% off any purchase from Orvis. So... You know, if you buy a Helios fly rod, that's a hundred bucks. That's nothing to uh, scoff at. And plus you're helping to support the important work that we do here at the Arizona Wildlife Federation. So it is a win-win all the way around. And I want to thank the Orvis shop right here and now for thinking of us and, and uh, you know, having faith in us to do this important conservation work. Uh, we definitely appreciate it. But that gave me the excuse to reach out and ask Mr. Rosenbauer to come on today's show. So again, I'm a big fan of Tom, and uh, and I'm sure you will be too after this show. So stick around and listen to my uh, my interview with Tom Rosenbauer. And before we get into that, though, um, a couple, I should say, a few announcements from some of our heaviest hitting conservation organizations in the state. First, from the Arizona Antelope Federation, they have a big lake grasslands ecosystem fence modification project. Let's see, this is going to be in the Apache National Forest, a few miles north of Big Lake in the White Mountains. It's going to be on Saturday, May 20th at 8 a.m. Meet at camp for specific work instructions. The campsite will be located within two miles of the work project. The activity will be modifying approximately two to three miles of existing low-hanging four and five strand fence by removing the bottom strands of bob wire and replacing with a single strand of smooth wire at a height of 18 inches. This uh, is a huge benefit to pronghorn, allowing them to move across the landscape naturally like they need to. Uh, Let's see, volunteer benefits. All volunteer work hours and mileage will be used as in kind match for federally funded wildlife enhancement projects, including the Arizona Game and Fish Habitat Partnership Program. What to bring? Uh, The Arizona Antelope Federation will have a limited supply of work gloves, but bring your own if you got them. 
snacks, water, sunscreen, personal gear. Meals, uh, provide your own lunch, lunches to eat in the field. On the Saturday workdays, the Arizona Adult Federation will be providing dinners on Friday and Saturday nights and continental breakfast with coffee and juice on Saturday and Sunday mornings. Uh, let's see. No camping restrictions at this time. Contact. Let's see. If you have questions, you can contact Dave Cagle at 928-42. I'm sorry. Ugh, forgive me. 928-242-9871 or at info at azantelope.org. They ask you RSVP by Monday the 15th. Uh, I will have the registration information in the show notes, so please have a look there. Then, from the Arizona Elk Society. Let's see. Join Arizona Elk Society in one of our local scout trips as we work to protect the meadow in Dickerson Flat. This meadow has been subject to rampant side-by-side and UTV use and needs our help to heal. The scout troop will be constructing a log worm fence to keep vehicles out of the meadow. Arizona Elk Society will need cooks and camp help to keep these troops fed, along with a small group of volunteers to remove a livestock fence. This is May 19th through the 21st. Come out to support our local Boy Scouts of America while helping restore elk habitat. The Elk Society is in need of volunteers to help set up camp, cook, serve, work on projects, tear down and clean up camp. Uh, Let's see. The Arizona Elk Society will provide kitchen food, drinks, long sleeve shirts, gloves, hats, and safety glasses for the project. Please consider bringing rain gear and all necessary personal camping equipment that you may need. Please reach out to the Arizona Elk Society office with any questions you have. That phone number is 623-444-4147. I will have the link uh, to volunteer in the show notes. So yeah, not only are you helping out Elk Habitat, you're helping out the Boy Scouts of America too. You can't beat that. Now, a very short uh, but important one from the Desert Bighorn Sheep Society. Um, I don't have a lot of details on this. Um, If I have more, I will link them up in the show notes when the show comes out. But a Bighorn Sheep Poaching Incident up near uh, Nelson Reservoir in the White Mountains has occurred. Um, there should be a press release coming out shortly uh, requesting help in identifying the poachers. Arizona Desert Bighorn Sheep Society typically offers a $2,500 reward if information leads to the arrest and convention conviction of the poachers. So yeah, uh, you folks up in that country, uh, please keep an eye and an ear open wildlife belongs to us all and when people steal it they're stealing from all of us and need to be held accountable and punished appropriately in my opinion so yeah keep that in mind um a hefty reward there if if you've got information that leads to a conviction in this in this poaching case and uh, yeah i'll try to get more information on this as well when i get it all right with that i hope you enjoy the show with tom rosenbauer he is a hell of a guy and a, a great Uh, face and voice for the fly fishing community. Thanks. And we'll see you after the show. All right, here we go. Tom, thank you. Thank you for being here. It's appreciated. It's a pleasure, Michael. uh, Nice to be here. You're kind of, kind of a big deal in my world. (laughs) 
Um, so I think what, what I'll do as far as introductions go, um, I'm going to, I, I want to start uh, just by saying how I know who you are and then you can like fill in the more de- technical details. Is that okay? Yeah, sure. All right. Well, t- today we're joined by none other than Orvis's Tom Rosenbauer. And um, Tom's here for two reasons. What what brought this on is our local Orvis shop in Phoenix, Arizona, has sponsored us, the Arizona Wildlife Federation, for their give back days the entire month of May. And uh, and I'll tell you, I'll I'll talk more about that. Uh, for the listeners in the in the intro and how they can uh, take advantage of that opportunity and support us, but that that's what spurred this idea. But on top of that, I, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of uh, of Mr. Rosenbauer here, uh, and I would I would describe him, whether it be accurate or not, as well definitely the face of Orvis and and voice. But not only that, at least in my mind and probably to several others, kind of the face and voice of modern fly fishing. And he pulls it off uh, with a grace that, that not many have. Um, I, I, I don't know how you do it. Um, while I put fly fish, the fly fishing community on a pedestal, um, they can still be pretty volatile, just like any community can. And, and you manage to, you know, have this even-toned, uh, pleasant demeanor about you. Um, and, and how you represent the fly fishing community. And not only that, conservation seems to always be on the forefront of your messaging. And then that's something I appreciate. But anyway, that, that's how I know you, and that's why I like you. But can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, well, you know, there's no, there's no future in being confrontational in fly fishing. It's, it's, what, pe- it's what people do for fun, Michael. And to, to take it so seriously that you start an argument uh, kind of defeats the purpose. So that, that's kind of my philosophy in it. Um, however, sometimes sometimes you do need to be confrontational, particularly in the environmental in, in the environmental side. Sometimes you have to take mm-hmm. sides. Sometimes you, as much as I hate it, you have to get political. Um, I don't I don't like politics. I don't. I'm not a politician, uh, but you mm-hmm. know, sometimes we, we have to fight for, fight for what we, right. what we love. And, uh, you know, I just did uh, a full month of podcast of just conservation topics, one a week. I've been listening. Uh, yeah. Just conservation topics. And you know what? I know that my downloads were going to be a little bit lower than normal. But that's okay. I um I like the way you that, put it. That's what we do. I like the way you put it in one of those podcasts where you just basically said, "I'm sorry, this is what we're doing," and if you're not here to to yeah, I'm paraphrasing here, obviously, to listen to conservation podcasts, just come back next month. Yeah, I should probably should have said if if you're not interested in this stuff and don't care about it, I don't really want you listening. But I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. Most people don't get involved in conservation because they're interested in conservation. They get involved in conservation because they love wildlife yeah. and wild places and right. being on the yeah. water. So, you know, yeah. Even, yeah. even those folks that are listening that might not be interested now, they very likely will be in the future. So They will be when their local stream is threatened. Right. Good point. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, as much as I've listened to your podcast um, and, and as, as much as I've known who you are, um, I, I have not dug in to your, your past 
um, until moments ago, literally read, reading up on you before this recording. And I learned something that I thought was particular interesting that you enjoyed chasing around reptiles and amphibians when you were a child. Is that accurate? Yeah, I was, you know, the typical kid who had turtles and snakes and all right. that stuff. And then, uh, and fish and, you know, fish, I'd bring sunfish home and put them in a tub. Right. Yeah. I, I grew up in a very similar fashion. Um, and I, I, I have still an, a, a fascination with reptiles and amphibians to, mm-hmm. to this day, you know, and, um, you know, and of course, trout as well. But it's kind of like, you know, these things evolve as, as we get older. But, um, you know, I spent a lot of my life chasing around reptiles and amphibians, looking for different species. It's taken me to different countries and all kinds of amazing habitats and places mm-hmm. that I would have never went otherwise. Mm. And now, uh, and, you know, you would keep like lifeless like birders do. But now I, I get the same kick from chasing around a native subspecies of trout, you know, for like the yeah. Western native trout challenge. Um, and even, you know, there's those, those endemic species to the mountains of Mexico that are just, I, I can't, I can't seem to stop thinking about them. Uh, talk mm-hmm. about a fun adventure to go down there and chase some of those. I hear it can yeah. be a little tricky, but there's people that do it. Yeah. So a lot of crossover there, but um, yeah, I imagine, you know, Things have changed for kids. Uh, you know, mine, I, I still have young children and I don't let them roam the way I did, you know, as a mm-hmm. child. I think when, yeah. when you and I grew up, things were a little bit different and we had that freedom to just leave in the morning, be gone all day long, you know, riding bikes to farm ponds and things and yeah. not come home until dark. And yep. well, as as much as I value that childhood, it's, it's really hard, you know, in today's society to kind of give that freedom and, and let go with, with young kids. But mm-hmm. But I get them out a lot just the same. So I, what what did get you into fly fishing? Was it just uh, was it just always there as a child or as fishing in general anyway? Yeah, my father my father was a, a bait fisherman and he used to take me fishing and I, I liked it. And yeah. when I was I don't know, nine or ten, I read about fly fishing, saw it in a magazine or saw it on the American Sportsman or something and thought it looked thought it looked interesting. You know, I think the, the challenge and the complexity of it interested me. And I had always kind of tried to make handmade lures, you know, mm-hmm. for spin fishing. And I realized that, I, you know, you, you could tie all your own flies and that seemed pretty cool. Uh, so I just went out and you know, went to the local hardware store and bought a cheap fly rod and uh, taught myself, uh, took a long time. And I wasn't a very patient kid. And I'm sure I drove my mother crazy with my tantrums, trying to learn <laughs> how to cast and tie knots and all that yeah. stuff. Um, but yeah, that's awesome. That's uh, how it gets started with a lot of people, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I was in uh, Boy Scouts. And I don't, I don't know where the fishing bug uh, attached itself to me, but that's all I thought about as a kid. I mean, in the evening, I would just go through my tackle box, which I'm sure was an old toolbox, and organize and reorganize my lures. And mm-hmm. then uh, I was on a, on a scouting trip, and one of my scoutmasters had a fly rod, one of the old automatic ones, you know, that zipped the line up. And, uh, man, I just thought that was cool. And next thing you know... Uh, my mom had picked up a fly reel from a yard sale. It was, it was missing the handle, so I had to like use my finger to wind it up. And I took an old broken red fiberglass spinning rod. It was probably five feet long and attached it to that. And that's how I started fly fishing and yeah, mm-hmm. tying, tying flies out of carpet fiber and things like that. But Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
I remember one other time I was on the river uh, and a canoe of fellas came by and one of them was fly fishing and I was out there and he, uh, he stopped and he looked at my equipment and the flies I was using and he felt sorry for me, I think. And he gave me a popper and it was like, you know, I, I, I don't, I, I wouldn't call us poor, but I just didn't have access to things like that. And I thought that popper was the coolest fly in the world. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, that, that was, that was my humble beginnings in it. But, um, but yeah, there's just something about it. I'll, I'll take one fish on a fly rod over 10 over conventional equipment, not saying that one is better than the other by any stretch. I just enjoy it more. Yeah. yeah. So, let's see. Have you gotten out at all this spring? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, I, I fish, I fish regularly. Um, probably three days a week. Don't ask me how, don't ask me how I've done because I've been skunked a number of times. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, we, uh, just moved up here to the mountains of Arizona near Flagstaff last year, last winter. And my goal since I've been up here was to break 40 inches on a pike out of, out of a local reservoir we have. Uh-huh. And, uh, I have not come close, uh, <laughs> nothing but hammer handles, but I know they're in there. And the other day I was out, I probably put four hours solid in the evening fish till dark. Uh, one strike that I missed and I get back home and, uh, on uh, it starts floating around the internet, but this fella, same day, same place with a 46 incher. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, good you, for him, but it you, broke you my need heart. to stay off. You need to stay off Instagram, it, it gives you a <laughs> sense of insecurity. Uh, oh, I see, yeah. I see people around here catching big fish on dry flies, and uh huh, I wasn't in the right place at the right time, right? Right, but do you do any other kind of fishing, or do you pretty much stick with a fly rod? Yeah, you know, I I don't because even if I'm fishing for pike or bass or uh, saltwater, mm-hmm. I I just like fishing with a fly rod, and uh, I don't know, I I probably wouldn't even be very good at spin fishing because I don't do it anymore. Right. Um. You know, I used to when my kids were young, I used to go um, worm and bobber fishing mm-hmm. with them with a little push button rod, uh, but I yeah, I just it's it's just the way I like to fish and it's all the gear. I it's what it's the kind of gear I have. Right. Now, right. So. Yeah. I, I definitely, uh, I lean the same way. Um, I will say the one exception is I do still enjoy, you know, albeit I don't get out that much anymore, but I enjoy catfishing. I, I like mm-hmm. camping out, sitting around a fire, maybe having a beer or two mm-hmm. and then yeah, just, just enjoying the summer nights. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, on the coolness scale of fish, it's hard to beat a big flathead too. They're just awesome predators. <clears throat> and you do a little wing shooting as well, don't you? A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. I, I like, uh, I like waterfowl hunting. I've done, I'm, I'm really, I live in wild turkey country. So I've done some turkey hunting and mm-hmm. grouse and woodcock our, our grouse, uh, hunting is nowhere near as good as it used to be. Yeah. say 20 30 years ago yeah i used to do it a lot more but then i had an english setter and so i did more grouse and woodcock now i have labs so i mm-hmm. tend to do more waterfowl hunting gotcha yeah i've got a german short hair pointer who's outside laying in the sun right now just being a happy dog but uh yeah we've got you know out here in arizona we've got yeah i, I would consider it the Holy land of quail hunting, even though you know, mm-hmm. most people associate that with Bob Whites in the Southeast. But, you know, we have the three species, though, the Merns or Montezuma, Scaled and uh, Gambles. And, of course, a, a few California quail as well. So it's, it's a great place to be, you know, with a bird dog. Mm, yeah. Let's see. Have, have you ever, have you fished Arizona before? 
No, I ha- I haven't. I haven't. My mother-in-law lives in Scottsdale, and so we're we're there occasionally. But you know, it's family stuff. I never never get sure. to sneak away and that. fish. But yeah, I haven't in Arizona. Well, as I'm sure you know, you know, are are probably are. The the thing we hang our hat on the most is our, our Apache trout because you can get them nowhere else in the world, um, and uh, they're just a, a special little native fish, uh, as well as our Gila's, which uh, also occur over into New Mexico. But uh, we've got a couple wild populations of Gila's you can fish now, and then also uh, there is um, the Lee's Ferry Fishery, which I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with, is pretty pretty world class <laughs> yeah, place. Yeah. Um, I don't think it grows the rainbows as quite as big as it used to, but uh, they're still beautiful, wild, strong fish. And uh, boy, is it a pretty place as well. And I'm fortunate just to live a couple hours from there now. So with that, if you ever are in Scottsdale and uh, visiting the, the in-laws and you want to go go chase some, some native Arizona trout, um, I would be more than happy to host you on behalf of the Arizona Wildlife Federation to do that. There are many days when I would love to get away. <laughs> no, I know, I know folks don't think about Arizona a lot when it comes to fly fishing. And I will say as, as beautiful of a place as it is that I live now, the lack of moving water ecosystems really is, uh, yeah, it's, I, I wish there was more of that, but what we do have, but you have, you have, you have a, a lot of mountain streams in the Northern part of the state, right? Well, yeah. Yeah. And in the Northeast white mountains areas. Yeah. Yeah. A lot, a lot of blue lining opportunities. And you know, there's, there's some of those creeks that have Brown trout in them that are so mm-hmm. big. I don't see how they even turn around in that little bit of water, mm-hmm. but, um, but they're out there. It's a, uh, it's a state that you got to put a little more work into, but um, if you do, you'll, you'll certainly be rewarded. And I love carp fishing. I know that I know yeah. with a fly rod and I know that you guys have in your, in your urban areas, you have some pretty good carp fishing. We absolutely do. And yeah, that's, that's one thing. It's, been the, I grew up in Missouri and beautiful rivers in Missouri, of course. And, uh, but I've spent the last 10 years down in the valley around Tempe Phoenix area. And, and yeah, I spent a lot of time chasing those carp with the fly rod. Mm-hmm. Another local fly shop we have in town have, have really done a good job of popularizing popularizing that around the metro areas but boy they're fun and they're challenging too. oh they're it's, one, it's of the, no joke. one of the most interesting fish in fresh water for sure and, and i like to say that when you're holding when you're holding a trout i mean trout are beautiful in their own right you know and they have all these amazing characters but when you're holding a carp and i feel like it's looking back at you as you're looking at it <laughs> i just feel like there's something more going on in there <laughs> but they are tough and boy, it was nice to be able to leave a couple hours early to go pick up the kids from school and, you know, throw a rod in the truck and yeah. fish in the canal that goes by the school for a while before I pick them up. All right. Well, I guess I'd, I'd like to, if, if you can give us a, a bit of the history of Orvis. Um, I mean, that's such a huge name in the fly fishing. Uh, it's something I've recognized since I was a child, but quite honestly, I know very little about, you know, how Orvis started uh-huh. in the beginnings. Yeah, well, it started in uh, in 1856. Oh, my gosh. In Manchester, Vermont, where the headquarters still mm-hmm. are. And Charles Orvis owned a hotel, uh, the Equinox, a big, I don't know if it's, I think it was called the Orvis Hotel then, but it's still there, the Equinox, a big old grand place. And um, he started making fly rods mm-hmm. and selling them to his guests. And then he decided that, hey, you know, I could, I could get a mailing list of these people who lived in Connecticut and in New York city and New Jersey and, and send him, uh, you know, 
a, a catalog of my fly rods in the wintertime. And this is, it's actually the oldest surviving mail order catalog in, uh, in the United States. And so he, uh, you know, kind of left the hotel business and, and really started making fly rods. And then he, uh, designed some reels that he had made for him in various machine shops across the Northeast, a very famous, uh, 1874 patent reel, which was the kind of the first modern upright ventilated fly reel. And his daughter, Mary, uh, started a, <clears throat> excuse me, started a big fly tying operation in the 1880s, 1890s, where she had, um, probably 20 women, uh, tying flies commercially. And she wrote a book about American fly patterns. And uh, Charles uh, died around the turn of the century. His, his um, siblings and probably children ran the company through the 1930s. Uh, it wasn't much then. It, it kind of went into decline, particularly during the Depression. Um, and then uh, 1939, a guy named uh, D.C. Ducky Corcoran um, bought, he was a golfer, but he liked fishing. He bought the company and he really expanded it, expanded the catalogs, uh, expanded the rod production, bam, it was bamboo, all bamboo rod production at the time. And uh, he sold it in 1965 to uh, Lee H. Perkins, who was a, a bird hunter and a fly fisher from Cleveland who went to Williams College, not too, not too far from us. And the Perkins family still owns it. Um, Lee passed away last year um, at, in his 90s. And his son, Perk, uh, ran the company for know, 20, 20, 30 years. And now uh, Perk's son, Simon, is running the company. So it's always been family owned. It's still family owned, privately held. Um, and, uh, you know, fly fishing has always been the, the soul of the company. Um, obviously, people know that Orvis sells a lot more stuff, a lot of clothing and dog beds and things like that. Mm -hmm. But fly fishing is still, is still the heart and soul of the company. We still make, uh, make our own, most of our own fly rods right here in Manchester, Vermont. We make uh, fiberglass, graphite, and bamboo rods in our rod mm -hmm. shop. And um, yeah, I mean, or Orvis uh, devotes 5% of pre-tax uh, uh, dollars to um, conservation, but uh, even more so than that, it, it's a, it, uh, Orvis does a lot of um, education in, in conservation. You know, the, the money that we donate is, is, you know, pittance compared to some of these big corporations that give money to mm -hmm. conservation, but uh, you know, the people that work at the company spend a lot of time uh, working on conservation causes. We just sent a bunch of people down to D.C. to um, talk to congressmen about the Everglades restoration and, and climate change. Outstanding. So it, it, it's a big part of the company. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I just you, you talked about not enjoying politics earlier. And of course, I, I don't either. You know, I'm a person who's growing up in love with the, in love with the outdoors and in love with wildlife. Mm -hmm. And quite yeah. honestly, it's, yeah. it's been my driving force my entire life. I've, I've never wavered from it, but, um, you know, in, in my work now, 
I, you know, my, my education is in ecology, but all I do is policy. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, yeah. you know, spending time down at the Capitol, spending time in DC, these are not things that I consider fun, but you know, in my work here with the Arizona wildlife Federation, it did not take me long to realize how much impact that has and, and how much, how the how decisions that affect the things that I love, how how they're made in these places, and how not a lot of people are paying attention. Um, so I very much see the value in the work, and why it it's not my comfortable space. Um, I very much value it, and and you know you can almost say I enjoy doing it, but um, <laughs> but you know I, I take a lot of pride in it. I'll put it that mm-hmm. way, um, and I plan to do it the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it is uh it's 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 tough. In fact, you mentioned uh, DC. I was in DC oh a month ago, um, and I took the opportunity to go over and hit the Potomac, and I caught my first first hickory shads. And boy, oh, was cool. that was that fun! Yeah, yeah, that's a big deal in DC. It is, and boy, those fish pull. I mean, they really pull. I was surprised. Mm-hmm. Well, they're um, out of the ocean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, next year I'm going to try to plan it just a little bit later. I was at the very front end of the shad run, but mm-hmm. I'd like to get there a little later and uh, check the American off my list as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Um, you know, there's two things that I've noticed about Orvis that, you know, right or wrong. One is when I generally, when I look at a company that does a little bit of everything, waiters, boots, fly rods, mm-hmm. flies, yeah. everything. Yeah. Normally, in most situations, I see a drop of quality rather than a company that spe- specifies on one thing, just making rods. With Orvis, that's not the case. I mean, Orvis really does uh, manufacture great equipment, and that that's across the spectrum of things that you do. Um, I and now my my quiver is varied. I've got rods from from a variety of makers, and I like that. I like trying trying different things out. But uh, the I, I told you I had been pike fishing this spring, and I have a nine weight Helios three D. So that rod's been in my hands all spring, and I gotta tell you, every time I pull it out and I put it together. There is just something about, and I don't even know how to explain it. it. It's a quality that you feel when you put that thing together. It is just tight. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know how to explain it. Um, but the quality is there. You can see it. You can feel it. Um, it's just an amazing rod, and I love using it. Well, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of people who uh, spend a lot of time uh, designing those rods and testing prototypes and making sure they're not going to break and and trying to really make it uh, a better rod than any rod we've ever made. And, you know, it's, 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 it's a lot of work. It's yeah. two, generally two, three years in development for a rod series. So it, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot that goes into it. And there's a lot of hand labor, even though we use uh, some pretty sophisticated machines to make the rods. Mm-hmm. Um, there's 32 different hands that touch a rod before it goes out to the customer. Wow. Well, wow. you can, you can certainly feel it. Um, I've been, I've been nothing but impressed. That's the only Orvis rod I own. Um, I'm probably going to pull the trigger on another. I want to, I want to jump into that 10 foot length <laughs> arena and maybe a three weight. And I think, uh, uh-huh. I think I might try uh-huh. Orvis yeah. there too, but all right. Uh, can we talk a bit more about your podcast? Uh, cause quite honestly, that's uh, yeah, I listen to it uh, weekly. Um, and I know a lot of people do and it's, it, to me, it's one of the most informational, and podcasts out there there's always something new to learn 
And I think that comes from, you know, not only your experience, but the format of the podcast. And, you know, I would describe it as roughly half of it is called the fly box, the first half. And that's where you're at answering questions from listeners um, and playing their tips uh, on your podcast. And the second half of the show is usually a, a topic or person oriented um, interview. Would, would that be accurate? Yeah. Yeah. I always have a guest. I always have a guest. And and. Yeah, I, I try to I try to mix it up. I try to make it interesting. I have uh, authors and um, and a lot of guides, scientists on the podcast. Um, you know, I've been in I've been in this business since I was a teenager, and I'm I'm 69, so I have a pretty good network out there. You know, the yeah. fly fishing industry is not that big. It everybody knows everybody. And so, you know, I have a, I really have a vast uh, Rolodex of, of people who, you know, I can, I can, if I think of a subject that I, that I want to do with their podcast, I can usually find somebody to, uh, to be mm -hmm. my guest and somebody that knows more than I do about the topic. I'll tell you one of my favorite episodes, which I, it was, I thought unusual, but boy, was that, did I enjoy it when that was with uh, Brittany Howard of Alabama Shakes. Oh yeah, that was great. She yeah, was awesome. I, I, I'm a fan, but but I would have never known that she was a fly fisher. So that just blew me away. Yeah, yeah, she loves it. She's really enthusiastic about. It. I'd like to get her back on there. I don't know. If she, I don't know if she has time, but I'd love to get Brittany Howard back on a podcast. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That was certainly an interesting one. Um, and other things that you do, you've wrote what twenty plus books on fly fishing. Yeah. Something. Somewhere around there. Yeah. Right. Somewhere around there. Um, and then you have the Orvis Learning Center. Mm -hmm. Now, I know that through YouTube videos. Mm -hmm. but what, what all is encompassed in the uh, Orvis Learning Center? Um, well, you know, it, it, it started about uh, 11 or 12 years ago. Uh, I, I just realized that people learn from videos, you know. Mm -hmm. Not that books are going to go away. People still love books. They love to learn from books. But people learn from videos. You, you want to change a headlight on a Toyota Tacoma, you go to YouTube to figure out how to do it, right? I'm changing um, my brakes on my Toyota Tacoma today, and I've been looking up YouTube yeah. videos all morning. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, I said, we really should have a video-based learning center. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the younger people are, are going to learn from videos. They're not going to buy books. They may not go to schools. They don't really like organized stuff, but they, they learn from videos. So yeah. I said, let's, let's build a, a video-based uh, learning center where it's kind of a, like a correspondence course in fly fishing. And, uh, you know, over the years we've added, added more videos and I worked with, uh, the, the new fly fisher TV show, um, mm -hmm. that's, uh, on YouTube and is also on, um, public television and, uh, some of the, some of the cable networks, they've been good friends and I've worked with them for many, many years. And so they did all the uh, production work and then we shared the videos. They used them on their channels and I used them in the learning center. Yeah. And we have things like animated knots where people mm -hmm. can go and learn these fly fishing knots uh, by looking at step-by-step -step animations and videos, um, links to conservation organizations. There's a lot of fly tying videos on there now. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's, it's, you know, it's kind of a one stop for if someone wants to learn how to fly fish, it's a good place. It's a good place to start. Right. Right. Yeah. We, we live, you know, in, in, a, in a great time when it comes to being able to find and share not just information, but, but entertainment and fishing. I mean, yeah. you know, when I grew up, it was Sunday mornings, you know, 
Um, mm-hmm. you, you'd yeah. catch bill dance and, and things like right. that. But, uh, but yeah. now it's, you know, I mean, I, I primarily watch YouTube, um, and I primarily watch fly fishing shows and there, there's so many people out there just on their own, uh, producing great stuff. Uh, it's just, uh, we're, we're lucky. We're lucky to have all this at our fingertips now. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you're, I would consider, consider you fortunate, um, to have been able to, to live and work in the space that you have. And I'm sure that's brought you a ton of opportunity, but do you, do you have any, I mean, are you at a place in life where you've kind of seen it and done it all? Or, or do you still have bucket list trips and species you want to chase? Are you kidding me? Seen it and done it all for one thing. I haven't learned half <laughs> of it and not even half of it. You uh-huh. know, you're always learning. And there are so many places, Michael, that that I wanna that I wanna see, uh, just in just in the United States, just in the lower forty-eight. There's so many rivers and lakes and places that I'd like to see. So I have, you know, I mean, I'm not a world traveler. I've, I've been lucky enough to 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 fish in a lot of places around the world, but certainly I'm I'm not. Uh, mm-hmm. There's lots of places I haven't been. So yeah, there's, I'll never, I'll never get to all my right. bucket list places. Sure. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, I, I, I get it. Um, you know, just even here in Arizona, there's, yeah, I, there's more places that to explore than, than I could in three lifetimes. And, you know, I, I dig it all. I get excited about it all. You know, those, those big bucket list trips, uh, God, the endless, just endless, uh, things I want to do, but, you know, I, I, I got to fly fish for tarpon in Costa Rica this last year, and I did not hook a fish. I saw a fish. I saw a giant adult tarpon that was almost heart-stopping to see for the first time. Um, but, uh, yeah, high water, really muddy, um, and we just couldn't find eating fish. But, oh, my gosh, what an amazing place to fish and what, what an amazing species to chase. Yeah. And um, There's just so many opportunities like that. There that, are. You know, I want to do a pro- couple proper Amazon trips you know mm-hmm. i want to do dorado in argentina and golly uh-huh. and so much um and you know and just wow. chasing yeah, me too i've never done any of that stuff so <laughs> chasing these little you know small native trout and mountain streams i just i get as big of a kick out of that too you know chasing different species and checking them off the list and it, it makes a yep. makes a tiny fish just as exciting as a big one but yeah, lots to do out there and yeah i it does yeah. in hindsight asking you that question I should have known. Um, I should have known because that's how I feel. And I, I feel like if I did this stuff every day for the rest of my life, I'd never get tired of it. No, you know, you never will. I, I don't. No. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know, you know, what it is uh, in a person that, that gives them that that kind of drive. Um, and then some other people don't have it, you know, um, and they get their kicks other ways. But uh, unfortunately, my little boy, he's really got uh, he's got a ton of drive. You know, he'll fish all day without a bite, never gets tired of it, you know, mm-hmm. still doesn't want to go home at the end of the day. But but my daughter, you know, she likes staying home. I mean, I drag her out anyway, and she always has a good time when I do. But she really enjoys just hanging out of the house. But and they both have ample opportunities, you know. But uh, yeah, some some people have that and some people don't. But. Boy, I'm glad I do because it, it makes life exciting. And, uh, you know, I go to bed thinking about this stuff every night. And, you know, I wake up excited about it in the morning. So, you know, I enjoy it. Well, Tom, I want to thank you again for, for taking the time um, to talk to us today. Uh, you're, you're a big deal in my world. And I, uh, I know you hear it a lot. But, uh, but of course, thank you for everything you do for fly fishing. Um, thanks to Orvis as well. 
and uh, mostly thank you for keeping conservation at the at the front of the conversation. I do appreciate that. Well, thank you, Michael. It, it's been my pleasure. Believe me, if you hung around here and were, were one of my fishing buddies, you, you would not think that I'm a big deal. <laughs> All right. Well, 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 yeah, we'll, we'll just go with my Meyer out there. All right. Well, come out and visit those in-laws and let's go catch some, some Apache trout. Yeah. Just keep, just keep that, just keep that, uh, just keep that dream alive, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Well, thank you, Tom. I appreciate it. Okay. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. All right. That was Tom Rosenbauer from Orvis, one of my favorite people out there in the fly fishing community. I hope you enjoyed that talk with him. Please don't forget, during the month of May, you can go down to the Orvis shop in Phoenix and buy yourself a bunch of flies, buy yourself a new fly rod, buy yourself some waders. Make a $10 donation to the Arizona Wildlife Federation and get $10 off that purchase of one of those items. Um, it's a good deal um, and will benefit you and us. So thanks again to Orvis for sponsoring us for their Give Back Days. Thanks for to Tom for being on the show. And thanks to all of you for listening. Don't forget, the Arizona Wildlife Federation makes this show possible. You can support the Arizona Wildlife Federation by going to the link in the show notes. And uh, yeah, you, not only will you get our quarterly magazine, but you'll be supporting the very important work that we do for wildlife, for habitat, and for public lands. So with that, thank you. I would encourage you to like and comment our show wherever you listen to your podcast. And uh, yeah, don't hesitate hesitate to reach out with any questions, comments, or suggestions to podcast at azwildlife.org. Thanks again for listening.